The future of work looks a whole lot different inside a classified SCIF, or Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility. The intelligence community has been slower to adopt flexibilities like telework, but that might be changing with some spy agencies starting to embrace work from home. Here with the latest, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Justin, what are the intelligence community leaders exactly saying about their workplaces of the future? Director of National Intelligence Avril Haynes says the intelligence community is looking at ways to make workplaces, quote, more flexible and appealing. And that includes telework. And of course, there are certain jobs in the intelligence community that will probably never have a telework option. Uh, Think of an officer serving in a foreign embassy. But there are plenty of jobs, you know, analysts and support positions where these agencies are taking a hard look at where they can be more flexible. So during a keynote address at a summit hosted by the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, Haynes really talked up telework and and other workplace flexibilities. She actually cast those within this broader push to kind of overcome some diversity, equity and inclusion challenges within the intelligence community. We're also committed to addressing work-life balance challenges in the workplace, particularly for caretakers and for parents. And at places like ODNI, we offer incentives for our younger applicants like loan repayment programs. We're increasing telework options. We're appropriate along with a variety of sponsorship, mentoring, shadowing opportunities across all levels of the workforce. And these are the types of small adjustments that are necessary that can go a long way to meet the preferences of a 21st century workforce while still meeting our mission requirements. Turn that spare bedroom into a skiff. Have any intel agencies been at the forefront of this, this telework idea? Because I know they all kind of got forced into it early on. Yeah, well, Haynes says the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, has really taken the baton on leading the IC and showing how to do telework. Tanya Wilkerson is deputy director at NGA. She also spoke at this INSA conference. She says COVID-19 forced the agency to really confront questions about whether certain work needed to be classified. And she says that's something the agency will carry forward. And a huge factor in terms of where we need to continue to move forward is taking that hard look at does it have to be in the classified environment or can we actually do it in the unclassified environment? Are there opportunities for telework? So continuing to evolve uh, in that way rather than taking steps backwards is really the space we have to continue to be in. In addition to NGA's wonderful building down in Belvoir, they've got this new campus in St. Louis, which is quite a place, architectural kind of a gem. Does that factor into this telework idea now? That's right. That $1.7 billion campus in St. Louis called Next NGA West is really a state-of-the-art facility, and the NGA is hoping it will help the spy agency attract and retain really the next generation of talent, and they expect about half the workforce there will be in a classified environment, while 25% will be working uh, in unclassified spaces. And then the remaining 25% will be a hybrid. Maybe they're flexing back and forth between working on classified imagery and you know, unclassified imagery that commercial companies put out. That facility is scheduled to open in 2025. Wilkerson says NGA has actually waited until the absolute last point in time to make decisions about the technology that's going into the facility. And why is that important? Because so often, given, you know, in the government realm, we have to make those decisions so far in advance that the technology has evolved over time and we don't get to take full advantage of that. Now, that doesn't come without some risk, right? But it was a risk willing to take because as long as you can effectively manage that, I think it was certainly the, the best way to go. That's Tonya Wilkerson. She's the deputy director at the National Geospatial and Intelligence Agency. And is there 
possibly, Justin, a idea of two hierarchies developing. So people that are able to telework easily and come and go, and those that have to be in the skiff, in the classified environment all the time in that building. Is that a developing tension there, do you think? It's totally possible. You know, I think agencies like NGA have it a little bit easier, so to say, when it comes to embracing telework, because they are starting to buy more commercial imagery that's unclassified in the first place. And NGA might become a more attractive option for uh, certain intelligence analysts over other agencies because of that. But, you know, agencies also have mobile technologies in place for work that needs to remain classified on the go. The Defense Information Systems Agency for a decade now nearly has been offering classified mobility capabilities. Zachary Tyson Brown is a researcher at the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security. He pointed out that those capabilities have often been reserved for leadership rather than the rank and file. I would like to see that promulgated much more widely across the, the trusted workforce. And I think the lessons we've learned through COVID, you know, we need to make work easier for IC staff, IC officers, and give them the ability to have this stuff that hitherto has been only available to the very senior leaders and senior executives for, re- for good reasons. But we have the capability, you know, we have the trusted workforce as we go into continuous evaluation for the entire IC. I think this is a, that's a good solution to have. And that's Zachary Tyson Brown. He's a researcher within the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, talking about classified mobile capabilities and why maybe that should be spread out a little bit more. To summarize then, Justin Doubleday, we are getting to the point where the intelligence community is looking to obviously stay classified where it has to, but classification nodes don't necessarily have to be inside the four walls of their traditional buildings. That point that Brown made there about continuous evaluation is an especially important one. There are new ways for the IC to kind of manage risks. They are now continuously monitoring their workforce for suspicious travel, transactions. There are ways to monitor how they're accessing email and that that sensitive information. So they're certainly thinking through ways that they can make that work-life balance a little bit better for officers while still staying secure. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. 
And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same. Uh, whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, uh, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. 
I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi historical to current current times, I just it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola. It's in our nature. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.